heart is shut up to some verses in Esther 4. And I will read verses 10 through 14. And I would like to minister uh, on a topic entitled, God was with me in the crisis. And I want you to see that he's with you in the midst of your crisis. Esther 4, beginning with verse 10, again, Esther spake unto Hatach and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these thirty days. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to Esther this answer, Think not with thyself that you shall escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if you altogether hold your peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knows whether you are come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So we say God was with us in the crisis. If you have ever taken the time to read this book, then you certainly are familiar with the fact that this was some 500 years or so before Christ was born. And Esther was a woman of valor. This is one of those books where the word God doesn't appear in the book, but the fingerprints, the very footprints of God are everywhere in these passages. Depending on how someone looks at the Hebrew words, you may be able to find an occasion where God is mentioned when they talk about his name or so. But here is how it begins. A king in chapter 1 was holding a very large party for all of his nobles and very powerful men. They had their strong drink and their wine, and they were partying. And at some point, when they were all liquored up, the king thought it would be a good idea to bring his wife, who was exceptionally attractive, and bring her in front of all of these gentlemen to parade her beauty. She had to be one more gorgeous Young lady. But in chapter 1, verse 12, when he gave word for Vashti the queen to come, the Bible says she refused. He gave her a second opportunity. In verse 17, she refused again. And the men got around the king and they said to the king, they said, Now look, you, you need to do something about this because if if you don't discipline her, if you don't take some kind of action, we're doomed. Because all the women all around the kingdom are then going to become very disrespectful and disobedient to us, the men. So you need to make a decision. And of course, men like submissive ladies. And so did the king. 
And so he passed a letter and passed a decree and said, Vashti is banished. She is no longer my wife. And he made it very plain. We're going to make sure we put down any kind of rebellion that can be stirred up in the hearts of these ladies. You know, I always did like that chapter. Amen. Well, chapter two. The king said, I've got to have somebody to replace Vashti. And so he told his men, he said, look, get, gather all the beautiful ladies from all the different provinces and bring them to the palace. And for one year, I want you to give them the best perfumes and the best oils and get them all fixed up. And one by one, let them come before me. Well, in the end, he found Esther exceptionally attractive. She became the one that he gave favor to. Well, chapter 2 made it very plain. He even put a crown royal on her head, and people knew that she had access to the king, had favor with the king. Well, there was another gentleman who was promoted by the name of Haman. Haman was an Amalekite. Historically, these had been enemies of the Jewish people. The king had promoted him because of his service and loyalty to the throne, and he made it very plain to anybody who sees Haman, when he walks, you are supposed to bow in his presence. And sure enough, that's how it was when he came walking through the streets. People were getting down on their knees and they were bowing and showing him all kinds of deference. But there was one Jewish man named Mordecai who just kind of stood there, threw his hands in his pocket and wouldn't bow. Mordecai was a man of God, a man of integrity. Haman was so angry, he told his aides about Mordecai, and they said, look, that's a Jewish man. He's of them people that cause nothing but problems. And they got their own God. They have their own laws. These people will do whatever they want to do whenever they want to do it, and they won't worship our God. You need to do what you can to put these people in their place, and even better, eradicate them. Well, Haman said, what am I supposed to do? We need to get the king involved. Haman told the king, you've got some folks here that are traitors, that are disloyal. You should sign a law that says these people are to be stopped. These people are to be attacked on a certain day. And that naive king, without even investigating it, signed it in the law. The law of the Persians and the Medes. Once it is signed, it cannot be revoked. It is irrevocable. So now this letter is going to the provinces and all these mail carriers are taking it and Jewish people are reading this. Mordecai is looking at this and the Bible says he was so startled by this that he, he pulled off his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes and sat in the gate and wept. He was broken by this. One particular day, chapter 3, you can kill any Jew that you find. There were people all over the kingdom that were excited. More than 120 provinces. And Jewish people seemingly were in all of them. Well, Esther found out that Mordecai was in mourning. And you've got to understand the connection between these two. Esther's parents had died when she was young. And Mordecai essentially was her cousin. Because... 
her father was his uncle. And he took her in, raised her up, taught her about God, taught her to be a godly woman. So don't don't tell me that a guy can't produce a godly woman. He can if he lives according to the word of God. That's exactly what he produced in Esther, a lady that feared God, a lady that loved God, a lady that was chaste, a lady that was honorable. And when she found out about Mordecai, she sent word, said, what in the world is going on? Why are you carrying on like this? And he told her everything I just told you. And so she said, look, here's some food. Here's some clothing. Don't just sit there and starve to death. Take off the sackcloth and ashes. Let's get back to business. He said, you don't understand. He's sending the messenger back. You don't understand. You're Jewish just like we are. And don't think because you live in the palace and you have access to the king and you have favor with the king that you're going to escape. Your ethnicity is just as Jewish as ours. Somebody's got to stand up and say something. And it could very well be that God called you to the kingdom for such a time as this. So as you can see, this is a crisis. This is terrible. People have an opportunity to take the lives of of other people on one particular day. I think Hollywood even tried to make a movie about something like this years ago where one day out of the year you can go out and kill anybody that you want to kill. And so here we have this in the Bible. We have people that are wringing their hands and they are salivating, waiting for that time to come when they can plunge a knife or a sword into a Jewish person. Jewish people are terrified. The Bible says they were crying. Mordecai made an appeal to Vashti. Now listen, Vashti essentially becomes the intercessor for the Jewish people. And all of us, when we're in the middle of a crisis, you need to know there is someone to whom you can go. You need to understand that you have access to the throne. And Hebrews makes it very plain that we may now boldly come to the throne of grace where we may find mercy in a time of need. I don't care what your crisis is tonight, whatever your crisis looks like tonight, you are not alone. God is in the middle of that thing with you. And this is why we pray. This is why we talk to the king with the expectation that when I offer up my petition, when I bring my request, when I bring my supplication to God and I say, Father, you see what the enemy has planned against me. You see what the spirit of Haman is like in that man, in that woman or in that group. And they're coming against me. God, I need help. God listens. God works behind the scenes. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't understand why. God permits certain crises to come to different people. I just want you to know that God's still behind the scenes stirring up the pot. Yeah, a lot of ugly things in this world I do not understand. I don't know why babies born into this world deform. I don't understand why rape occurs. Don't like the fact that in this world we have wars and famines and earthquakes and Thousands of people die within 12 seconds when the earth opens up and shakes and people's homes disappear. But I know it's all a product of Adam and Eve's sin. I know that. And some people, when they can't come to terms with that, 
They struggle. They backslide. They walk away from God. Father, if you care about me, why are you permitting this to go on in my life? Why are you letting them go through that? I've seen plenty of people that have backslidden. I've read about people who backslidden because of that. We all know Billy Graham was a very popular preacher. But when he started preaching for the youth for Christ back in the 30s, going into the 40s, his closest friend, who very well may have been a better preacher than Billy Graham, he decided he'd go off to Princeton Seminary, get his education. He got there and began to learn from those theologians that the book is filled with tales, legends, myths, that the authors that have their names appended to the different books, probably didn't write them. That most of these were, you know, anonymously written. Some of them were actually forgeries. That's what he learned. His faith began to teeter, totter. He came out of that Bible school with an education that kind of caused his faith to be shaken, but yet he still was preaching and still was a great orator and still could move the crowds of people from Canada here in America. And one day, back during World War II, and this would have been back when the movie theaters showed small clips of the war effort before the movie came out. He was in the theater watching. And he saw where our soldiers had gone into those camps during the Holocaust and had discovered the remains of Jewish people. Mounds of skeletal remains, bones heaped upon another, human bodies heaped up together, thousands upon thousands of people dead. And he sat there and wept. And in that theater came to the conclusion, what kind of a God would let that happen to his people if he had a covenant with them? And he lost his faith, walked away from God, and as far as I knew, never ever came back to God. Folks, I'm telling you right now, this world is nothing but a big bubble of sin and sins. And there's always going to be things that take place in this world that we're not going to like, that's going to displease us. But I'm telling you right now, however wicked, however demented a people might be, God hadn't forgotten. And even though God doesn't reach down and get them as fast as you want him to get them, and he allows things to happen in our lives and in other lives, I'm telling you that in the providence of God and through his foresight, his hand is still working behind the scenes to bless, to preserve, and to protect. Mordecai told his cousin there, Esther, we need some help. And Esther made it her business to get involved with this helping business. So what did she do? She thought about it. She considered it. She sent word back to Mordecai. She said, look, this is what we're going to do. All of my female assistants and aides, we are going to fast. We are going to pray. And I want you to do the exact same thing. Spread the word. Everybody's going to fast. And we are going to believe that something miraculous is going to take place. Now, Mordecai already had faith in his heart because he said, look, here is your opportunity to stand up as a woman of valor. Here is your opportunity to be a woman that's a warrior princess. If you don't do anything, deliverance is going to come to our people one way or another. You better know it. 
That's what he said. It's either you or somebody else will be the vessel that God uses. Now, here's the thing you need to know about fasting. You learn from Esther 4, looking at verse 16 and 17 there, that you can fast for people and you can fast for predicaments they may be in. That means if somebody's passing through a very difficult time, you can make the decision to turn the plate down. I'm not going to eat. I'm going to give my time to God. I need to talk to God. I need to hear from God. And if you've seen people go through some difficult times, some hurtful situations, divisive situations, maybe there's persecution or some kind of hostility, you need to take the time to fast. And if your friend calls you and asks you, Would you fast for me? Be willing to give up a breakfast, a breakfast and lunch, a breakfast, lunch and dinner. You can see from this particular verse in chapter four that they did not eat or drink for three days. Now think about that. No liquids at all. No food. It wasn't like the way I see people fast today. They say, oh, pastor, I'm on a fast, and I mean, they got a protein shake that's got more calories and nutrients and vitamins, supplements in it than some of the meals that we eat. No, that wasn't this at all. You've heard people say, well, I'm on a Daniel fast. Well, what's that? Well, I'm fasting the television. Really? I'm fasting sports this week. Really? I'm fasting meat this week. Well, that wasn't a Daniel fast. Daniel was on a kosher diet. He refused to eat anything that was unclean and did not meet Jewish standards. That was not a fast. A fast is connected with that first sin. It's with you denying your body the very thing that it craves, food. You remember back in the Garden of Eden, the Lord put that man and woman there. And he said, folks, look around all of this here. A lot of trees out here. A lot of vegetation is beautiful. This is all yours. Belongs to you. Every tree out here, you can eat the fruit of it. Except this one here. That's mine. Stay away from it. Avoid it. I've told you before, if God says this tree is mine, that tree has to be different than all the other trees. Otherwise, they'd have walked away two or three hundred miles and come back and couldn't tell the difference between that tree and every other tree. There had to be something unique about this tree. But but one day the wife was wandering around and the devil, you know, he's looking for a mind that he can inhabit, and of course, uh, that idle mind becomes the devil's workshop, and she was looking at that fruit, and he said, you know what, if you went on and tasted one of those, it wouldn't be as bad as you think. be all right. She looked at that, and the Bible says, greatly to be desired to make her wise. She reached out, grabbed that fruit, took a bite, Nothing happened because God had already said, you eat of the fruit, you'll die. That's what he said. Nothing happened. And of course, there's that husband right there. And 
just stuck it right there in his mouth. And it w- wouldn't be easy to imagine how he did that. There had been a thousand times husbands have walked into that kitchen when that wife was cooking and then just walks right in. And she just, hey, taste this, shoves it right in his mouth. And then, of course, there's some men that when the wife is in there cooking, they just mosey right on up, say, what's that that you have there? She tells her, I'd like a taste of that. And she goes ahead and gives it to him. But in either case, Eve and Adam willingly ate of that fruit. And all of the sins of the world stem from what they ate. And when you take the time to fast, you are telling your body that your belly is not your God. And you are making it very plain that despite your cravings and your headaches and despite your pains in your body, that for this season, for this breakfast, for this lunch, for these meals, I'm not eating a thing. That's exactly what Esther said. Now that's a battle for a lot of people, because if, if you're if you're like me, when Thursdays come up and I like to spend sunrise to sunset not eating anything then of course I kind of like to be alone where I don't have to be in contact with a whole lot of people because you go to folks houses and then before you know a pastor y'all try these cookies oh my goodness pastor these are the best best batch we ever made and I'm smelling it and I know it's true smells good but I like to just spend my time locked in with the king of course everybody can't do that If you're at work, you need to handle your business. And at the same time, if you're ill, if you're on medication, you got to be very careful about how you're handling your fast. But I do want you to understand this. You can go short seasons without putting something in your mouth. And I've had people get into arguments with me sometimes at uh, the other churches because I've said, you know, you can go an hour and a half or two hours without sticking something in your mouth. It's, oh, no, Pastor, you don't understand. I easily dehydrate. Nobody dehydrates in an hour or an hour and a half or two hours. Nobody. It just becomes a habit. I've gone to preach in larger churches where when I walk in through the foyer, right there is a Starbucks in the church. And I mean, people are sitting up on stools and you can see everybody having a good time and they're laughing and they're joking. And I mean, hundreds of people out there. Then I go through the foyer, go into the sanctuary before the service because it's supposed to be prayer time. And I go in there and there's six people. Six people praying and hundreds of people drinking coffee and cappuccinos. Caramel macchiato, whatever that is. Yeah. Having the time of their life, you see. But 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 here's my here's my point. The, the, the church is a bride consists of people that are passing through various problems and trials and tests and tribulations and various crises. And there are times where you have to tell that flesh, I'm turning that plate down. And I need to talk to God. And I need to hear from God. And I give you my word that in the middle of that crisis, God will show himself strong. He'll appear. He'll speak. He'll talk. He won't leave you to yourself. This is exactly what she learned in the middle of this. And so when it came to the end of those three days, remember, she had already made up in her mind. If I die, I die. 
If I perish, I perish. But sure enough, Mordecai and them got everybody to pray and fasting. And Esther, she said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take my life in my hands, but put it in God's hands. And I'm going to go and try to gain an audience with the king. Well, you know, he loved her. He was captivated by her beauty. So on this particular day, she got herself all dressed up and fixed up. You know how you ladies do when you're really trying to catch a man and get a good man's attention. I mean, you really know how to beautify and put it all together. And so that, that, I know that's the truth. That's what Tiffany did to get me. Yes, she did. She got it all together. And so Esther, she comes and she makes the, her way right there into the, 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 the very vision of the king. He's down the hall somewhere sitting on the throne. And when he finally gets a glimpse of her, I'm telling, oh, my goodness. Woo! That's Esther. He grabbed that scepter. He held that thing out. He said, girl, get in here as quick as you can. <laughs> and she came moseying down. That little road and came to where he was. And he said, look, girl, I love you so much. I'll give you up to half the kingdom. Don't tell me he didn't like her. Half the kingdom. Just tell me what you want. What's your request? What can I do? She said, I'd like to have a banquet with you and please invite Haman. I said, fine. Oh, Haman, you know, he. He was all excited. He even went home, told, told his family after the banquet. He said, look, I just had an opportunity to sit with the king and the queen. There's another promotion coming my way. But all of this doesn't matter as long as that scoundrel Mordecai is still breathing. They said, well, build some kind of contraption that you can use to kill him with. He said, yes, that's what we'll do. So he had it constructed and and and. Uh, Esther had told the king, please, the second banquet, the second day, let's get together. And so they got together that, that day. And, of course, he's still, he's looking into her eyes, and he's like, you're just so beautiful. You are absolutely wonderful. What can I give you? She said, sir, I'm Jewish. And you signed a decree that says all the Jewish people are going to be killed. But I know it wasn't just you. There was somebody that motivated you. There was somebody that instigated this. And these people that are going to be killed, they're my folks. And he said, well, who in the world's behind this whole situation? And then she pointed that long finger at that enemy named Haman. He got nervous quick. Yeah. Well, the king, he was incensed. He, he got up, he walked out, he's trying to figure out how he's going to handle this. I mean, after all, that's what husbands do. They're in the business of handling their wives' requests and fulfilling desires and needs, Brother John Ireland. That's what husbands do. And so he's out there thinking, and he's walking on the porch, and he said, okay, what can we do to fix this? I've got an idea. Now, while he's outside thinking, then Haman is in here begging for his life, and he actually climbed up on the queen's bed. Can you believe it? And, and he's begging for his life. The king walks in. He doesn't know what he's doing, but it looks like a, an assault. And he said, would you dare attack my wife in my palace? Wow. Well, 
That man Haman wanted Mordecai dead, but he ended up dying on the same contraption he made for his enemy. Because if you dig a hole for somebody else, you inevitably going to fall into it yourself. You don't even see that that's where your footsteps are taking you. In the end, the king sat down and he said, I'm writing another decree because the former one was irrevocable. He says, and in this decree, it is stated every Jewish person throughout the kingdom and every province on this particular day is to arm himself and rise up and defend himself against anybody that attacks. More than 75,000 people ended up dead that tried to attack the Jewish people. Here's what I don't understand. How could anybody live with that kind of hatred in their heart? And hate a people so much because of their ethnicity that if given an occasion to kill them, they would do it. You wonder how anybody could be like that. But look at the problem we had years ago in Rwanda. Between those two tribes that were there. I think it was the Tutsis and Hutus and all of that. I remember one time Harry was here preaching for us and he was telling me about him going to Rwanda. And he said he had actually... Uh, gone to some of the ruins where the people had blew up buildings. And he said he went to an old church one night. There was no lights in there at all. And he said he was walking around and all of this gravel and stuff crunching up under his feet. And he said, finally, they took the flashlight and pointed it down at the ground. And it wasn't gravel and rocks that he was walking on, but he was walking on bones. These people had run into the church Believed that the church was a supernatural place and would protect them. And the enemies that just walked in would hatchets hacked them to death how is it that isis when they had control over parts of syria and iraq could take christians and literally crucify them in broad daylight with people standing in the center of the town square how is it that in south america so many roman catholics could burn down the homes of protestant people protestant churches How is it that Hindus and other people could surround Christians in vehicles and make sure the Christians and their children can't get out of the car and then pour gasoline over the top of the vehicle and set it ablaze and the Hindus stand out and clap and cheer as the Christian people burn to death? Little kids with their faces pressed up against the glass. Folks, I'm telling there's hostility in a lot of hearts. And it has nothing to do with anything other than I don't like that person's ethnicity or I don't like that person's religion. On one day, they wanted to kill the Jewish people. But God turned the thing around so that the Jewish people could defend themselves. And regardless of what anybody thinks about it, I think anybody ought to be able to defend themselves if somebody's going to try to break in that house and kill everybody in that house. Yeah. I've had people ask me before, how can you as a pastor even believe in anything other than turning the other cheek? I said, I do believe in turning the other cheek, but I only got two. And said, well, how in the world can you have a weapon in your house, a bat or a knife or a gun or anything like that? I said, look, the Bible says the angel of the Lord encampeth about those that fear him. That's what the Bible teaches. I said, this is just in case somebody slips by that angel. That's all that's about. That's all that's about. But I'm telling you right now, God hadn't forsaken his covenant people, Israel, and God hadn't forsaken his church. 
I look at what takes place in the church and I see the rage in people's hearts and on their faces when they talk about Christians in America. And I know that if some people had their way, they put all of us in jail. Yeah. And given the right circumstances, they'd slit your throat and take my life just as fast as they could. But if one day in this nation, as is happening in Central Africa, West Africa, if Christians end up going to jail like in China or are losing their lives, I still will believe he's God. He's God. His covenant doesn't change. And when blood is shed, it doesn't change God at all. His word is still true. In the end, the Jewish people were spared, of course, and they recognized Esther for their one of their main feasts, even to this day. But the church has the favor of God. The church crowned with power and authority because of Jesus Christ. The church is enriched with the riches of his grace and mercy. And the church has access to the authority and the favor and the blessing of God, even as Esther had. And believe me, if Esther could get the eyes of the king and sway his heart. You better believe God's interested in you because he said of his son, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my son. Hear ye him. And all of us are in the son now. So I'm telling you, God is crazy about you. He absolutely loves you. And you may not think so. You may not always feel like it's so. But it is so. And when you pray and talk to your divine intercessor, you've got somebody that doesn't have to go through all of the machinations that Esther went through just to get herself ready for the king. You've got a savior that sits at the right hand of the father. And the Bible says, before you call, he answers. Yeah, he answers. So talk to him. Cry out to him. Don't be afraid of the crisis that you're in right now. The devil, he believes he has power, but he doesn't. You have power over the devil. Scripture says resist him. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty, pulling down strongholds. That means you have the ability. Take authority over that adversary. Use your mind to fill it with the words of God to resist the thoughts of the devil. When you see the adversary trying to move into your marriage, move into your home, move into your spiritual life, you can expel him. You can push him back. You can cast him out because you have authority. Yeah, be strong in God. Don't let Haman push you around and don't let somebody with the spirit of Haman push you around. The enemy is just that. He's an adversary. He wants you afraid. He wants you trembling, thinking, oh, my goodness, the car is going to be repossessed. I'm never going to find anybody. Our house is never going to be completed. I'll never own a house. He constantly wants you to live in fear that you'll never prosper, you'll never be healthy. I've always had pains in my body, so I'm just going to have to learn to live with the fact that I've got pains in my body. Don't ever learn to live with any fact that's contrary to the Bible. Stand on God's word and allow Haman to be dealt with. You hold fast to what the book says. Amen.
Amen. God wishes above all things that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. Don't spend all your time talking about your health if you're not going to talk about your soul. That soul needs to grow and nurture and develop. Let's stand tonight. Maybe you're in a crisis. Maybe you're facing difficulties. And it seems like the devil is breathing down your neck. I mean, turn around and face him. Face your adversary head on. and Don't be afraid. Just this past week, I probably had, trying to think, two or three people that told me, Pastor, you know, I went to sleep last night and had a dream. A snake had attached itself to me. And somebody else told me, I went to sleep, had a dream. There were snakes all around me, coiled up. Then another person said, I went to sleep and had a dream that a snake had coiled itself around me. I said to every one of them, what did you do in the dream? He said, well, I was afraid. I said, okay, what did you do when you woke up? He said, I was shaking and I was trembling. I said, what did you do after that? He said, I didn't do anything. I said, then that's why you're afraid. You're supposed to open up your eyes and let the devil know that he has no authority and power over you. And you will never be ensnared by him and wrapped up in his coils. And if something's going to try to attach itself to you, now is the time to pay attention to your associations and your relations and people that are trying to connect themselves with you. So that you don't end up being like those who had the venom of the adversary injected into their spiritual veins and it turned out to be fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. Yeah, you're an overcomer. Act like you're an overcomer in the midst of your crisis and do exactly like Esther did. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Father, this evening, I know that there are people passing through what in their minds are difficult times. But Lord, regardless of how difficult those times may be, you're greater, you're stronger, you're mightier, and you're bigger. And Lord, you told us that we are to speak to our mountains God, we're not to sit around and let our ears listen to the sounds that come from the mountains around us. But Father, we thank you that we are empowered by you to trust you, to believe you. And we know, God, we don't have to look for deliverance or enlargement from any other religion, from any other faith, from any other person. We can find it in your son that provided it on that cross. He came up out of that grave and made us more than conquerors and causes us to triumph in everything, God. So right now, Lord, we take the time to worship you, to love you, to offer you a few sacrifices of praise. Because great and mighty is the Lord our God. Great and mighty is he. Lord, we honor you and praise you. And we thank you, O God. We thank you, O God. What a lovely Savior. What a wonderful God. Yes, O God, we honor you and praise you.
Thank you, God. Come on, help me sing this song. This is the day, oh, this is the day that...